0: Father, we come again grateful for this day that you have given us, we are grateful to know that you are not only sovereign, but you are fully good, and all that you do is righteous. And so, Father, as we look further into Jeremiah this morning, remind us of this as we see your servant, uh, Jeremiah, steadfast uh, amid strife, and show us, teach us father how we can emulate that trusting in you in every circumstance we pray in jesus precious name amen you may be seated well welcome back Uh, we are in week three of the book of jeremiah Uh, just a a very quick uh, review in in uh, our first week we looked at chapter one we saw the context of of this book and Jeremiah's ministry, his call, and the calamity into which he is speaking. And then last week, we looked almost exclusively at the bookends of chapters 2 to 25, uh, which makes up the the bulk of the direct uh, prophetic utterance of Jeremiah against Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, And I I sent you away with uh, some some juicy pieces in between those chapters to to look at and themes. And if, and if you haven't gotten to those, I really encourage you to do that. We just simply don't have the time for that uh, in this place um, to try to, to handle this book in six weeks. Today, though, uh, we continue and we will see a, a bit of a more personal look at Jeremiah's ministry as uh, as he interacts with people who just literally hate him and wish to end his life and people who contradict the very things that he has been ministering uh, for decades and uh, so i hope that what we will see as i prayed uh, that we will see jeremiah's faithfulness in action Uh, we will see what it means to be steadfast amid strife and that the lord would grow us in that so we are in chapter 26 through 29 today you can go ahead and and turn to Jeremiah 26. Um, and uh, just to, to walk through the setting. Because as we, we saw in the first week, um, Jeremiah is not a chronological pathway. And so we are now uh, in the beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. So so at, at this point, uh, what has happened is that there have already been, uh, there's already been one uh, group of exiles who were taken probably uh, including Daniel and the setting that we have before us in in Jeremiah 26 is in the temple court Uh, Jeremiah has been charged to speak you'll see it in verses one to three all that the Lord has given to him and to not hold back one word and he is calling uh, the people to repent let me start in verse three Uh, It may be, the Lord is telling Jeremiah, that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, and now we we begin uh, Jeremiah's uh, prophecy to the people in, in the temple. Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. And so uh, Jeremiah introduces Shiloh, which may or may not be uh, a, a term you're familiar with. Uh, Jer- Jerusalem had not always been the center of worship for the people of Israel, early on, uh, it was in the northern kingdom, uh, in Shiloh, and if you think back to the stories of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phineas, these were not great days, uh, very honorable days whatsoever in the priesthood of of Israel. But this is what he's referring to. That uh, you may remember that there there came an episode where the Philistines and the Israelites were at war with one another, and the Israelites were losing. And what did they do? Do you remember? Sorry? Right, they called for the ark. And they they said, hey, we need to get this ark here. They were treating it like some sort of a talisman or a charm. You know, we get the ark here and all will be well. And uh, you may remember that what happened was the, the ark came... And the Philistines not only defeated the Israelites, but they took the ark. They soon regretted that. But, but, uh, but uh, at that time, and you may remember that, the, the messenger came back. It was at, at that battle that Hophni and Phinehas, both of Eli's sons, died. And Eli himself died that day. Ichabod was, was born, his, his grandson. And the, the glory had left um, Israel. Um, so remember that, and Shiloh was just decimated. The Philistines uh, destroyed it. And Jeremiah is now telling them, if you don't repent, Jerusalem is going to be just like Shiloh. Okay, so the, that is Jeremiah's message here. The uproar and the trial that takes place comes to us in verses 7 to 11 right after this. So um, first you can see in verse 7, Who it is that responded. The priests were there, the prophets were there, and all the people heard uh, Jeremiah speaking these words. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. That's their immediate response. You shall die. They couldn't have been more offended, and why? Was it because of the sin of the people that they they needed to repent? What what offended these people so much that they were ready to kill Jeremiah? Go back to Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4 with me. This is one of the little gems that we didn't pick up last week. The, the setting here is as well, uh, verse two, uh, the Lord tells Jeremiah, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this word. And then down in verse four, he said, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, what could be wrong with that? what what could what could be going on that that, that the, these become deceptive words that's a question for you what's happened here yes david uh, that's right yeah they had they had trust they had they had gone beyond just receiving the good gift of this temple and this place to worship and the storehouses and everything else that was there to minister. And they had placed their trust directly in the gift and no longer in the giver. They, they had seen, in fact, they had turned it into almost an incantation, right? A, a mantra, right? This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Right? This is America. Hmm. It's America. America. How dare they? So, the question, what, what is it that you are trusting it in? What, what would offend you most that you would say, that person deserves to die for saying that? Um, yeah, it is not their failure to listen to the Lord's prophet nor their failure to obey the Lord's law, but it is what might happen to their temple and their city that offends them most and sends them into a rage, an uproar. Verses 12 to 15 uh, tell us then, um, well, a a court was convened in verses 10 and 11. Officials came and and sat at the gate. They convened a court. Uh, The priests and the prophets repeat their call for a death sentence. And then, I want you to hear Jeremiah, verse 12 Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people saying the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against and this city all the words you have heard now therefore mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you we'll stop there so Jeremiah is repeating I am here on mission. I am am bringing to you words from the throne of God. And I am offering you the opportunity to repent. I am giving you a warning and a promise. I'm appealing that you would repent. Mend your ways and obey. And now verse 14. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands. Do with me as it seems good and right to you. That is a man who has given up his entire life to the Lord. He, he cares not. He couldn't care a lick for his own life. He is doing exactly what the Lord has called him to do with all of his energy down to giving every word that he has been called to speak and, and not withholding a single one. And then I, I don't think there's any guile at all in what Jeremiah is saying to these people who wish to kill him. Uh, I am in your hands. You, you do to me as seems right to you. Um, what he is remembering back in Jeremiah chapter 1, you can look at it in verse 17 to 19, are these words that God had spoken to him Jeremiah 1 verses 17 to 19, but you dress yourself for work, arise and say to them, everything that I command you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land, they will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So behold, Jeremiah, whose life is hidden with God, Uh, he knows that he will minister and serve with every ounce of energy uh, every day that the Lord gives him, and he will not relent of that. And in virtually, this is your fill in the blank if, if you've had your pencil at the ready for 15 minutes. In virtually the same breath, Jeremiah is calling out sin, pressing for repentance, declaring disaster in the absence of that repentance. And then submitting his very life to his accusers. Yeah, He's, he is submitting his very life to his accusers. Uh, without any hesitation whatsoever. Verse 15, he does warn them that uh, they would be taking innocent blood, but he he does not fight against it. Well, the rest of that chapter, uh, verses 16 to 24, Jeremiah is found not guilty by the officials. His life is spared. And uh, a little history lesson comes forward out of this. Uh, I'll give you the overview, but you will... You'll benefit from, from digging into this that the officials remind each other that, you know, a hundred years ago, this prophet named Micah came and warned us of impending doom, uh, judgment against us, and Hezekiah repented. Hmm. And just weeks before, another prophet came. Um, named Uriah, not that Uriah, and he prophesied much the same way of what Jeremiah had just said, and our king today put him to death. In fact, sent people and chased him to Egypt and brought him back so they could kill him right before the king. That's how uh, hard-hearted the king was. And what you'll see in the end of verse 19 in 26... Yeah, we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. At least one of the officials understood what was going on, uh, had, gotten, had understood what, what Jeremiah was saying. Okay, so, so that is chapter 26. We're going to move on uh, to chapters 27 and 28. We're going to take those together within this theme of being steadfast amid strife. Uh, though they are two separate occasions... Uh, It's about 15 years later now. It's the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. Zedekiah was the last uh, king of Judah. Uh, If you have a a King James, uh, you may see that verse 1 says that it's in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. Uh, There's textual evidence that and not only here but within the context of verses 3 and 12, that that probably is Zedekiah. So we're looking at something a little bit later. Nonetheless, uh, wh- what has happened by now is that there have been two waves, a second wave of, of exiles taken to Babylon, uh, probably including the king who was just before Zedekiah. That's how his reign ended. <laughs> he was taken into to, uh, exile along with, with others. And uh, what we're going to see in chapters 27 and 28 uh, are Yahweh's rule in chapter 27 being declared in warnings, that Yahweh's rule is being declared in warnings. And in chapter 28, we will see Yahweh's rule demonstrated in judgment. So in this, this chapter 27, it's going to be declared in warnings Next chapter demonstrated in judgment. And verse 2 of chapter 27, here we have Thus says, Thus the Lord said to me, Jeremiah is telling us, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. So, visual theology, Uh, it was well before Tim Challey's. uh, (laughs) Jeremiah is demonstrating, he's showing something here, he's declaring something. By wearing a yoke around his neck. What did a yoke mean? Not the yellow part of an egg. What, what do you think of? Bondage. Sorry? Bondage. Bondage, right? Say again? Slavery. Slavery, right? Yep. Yeah, menial service, complete submission. If you have, if you, whether you're an ox or a person or whatever, have, have a yoke. On you, you are someone's slave. You, you are not determining your own steps. Uh, someone else has full and complete control over your, your, actually your every step. Yank on it this way, you turn, yank on it that way, you turn the other way. Now his audience, throughout this chapter, uh, there are actually three different messages that you'll see. Verses 3 to 11 um, Jeremiah is addressing five kings who surround Judah. Uh, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon. And what he he is doing is sending this message and maybe even a yoke. We we don't really know. Uh, Verse 3 of Jeremiah 27 Starts send word to the king of and the king of and the king of and the king of, uh, but the literal Hebrew says send them to the king of Eden, Edom, Right, right after uh, he has been uh, commanded to make a yoke for himself, and now the word is send them to these kings. So it's it's entirely possible that Jeremiah made a half dozen yokes <laughs> made a whole bevy of yokes, and and he's sending these. Uh, To the emissaries or ambassadors of these kings, they were coming to Jerusalem. We're not told why, but there are hints that they're talking about how do we um, form an alliance and fight against this growing Babylonian threat. How do we rebel against what's happening? Little did they know they were attempting to rebel against God himself, We've already seen Nebuchadnezzar spoken of as my servant by God. There are three people in Jeremiah who are called my servant Jacob, speaking of the people of Israel collectively, my servant, David, and Nebuchadnezzar. None of the kings living at that time during Jeremiah's rule or Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. Zedekiah, Jehoiakim, even Josiah were, were spoken of as my servant. Um, but one king was. Well, King David. But one king living at that time was. The king of Babylon was, was spoken of as my servant by Yahweh. Okay. I told you, yeah. First, the first audience is of uh, these five kings. In verses 12 to 15 Jeremiah has a an audience with Zedekiah himself, and then in verses sixteen to twenty-two, it, you can see in verse sixteen, I spoke to the priests and to all this people. So, so we have three different messages, three different occasions throughout this this chapter, and I wanted to just look at the commonalities amongst those three messages rather than than reading every every bit of it. We will see. Uh, Two big chunks. Jeremiah is going to lay forward facts or indicatives about God and about the situation. And then he's going to lay out commands, imperatives, things to to do. So first, uh, the facts, look in in 4 and 5. Give them this charge for their masters, that is, the ambassadors to these kings. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, This is what you shall say to your masters. It is I, by my great power and my outstretched arm, that I have made the earth, with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. So, first set of facts. uh, The earth is mine. You are mine. Your animals are mine. And how I manage this earth and the details therein are by my good pleasure. There, there's no negotiation from Yahweh here. Verse 6. Now I, again, Yahweh speaking, have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. Verse 7. Next fact that that Yahweh lays out. All the nations will serve him and his son and his grandson. Okay, So this is going to take a while. This is going to take a while. Until the time of his own land comes, then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So so the two more things, that, that this will take some time, and then Nebuchadnezzar's own time of reckoning will come. So then comes the commands in verse 8. But if any kingdom, nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen. Listen. To your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, the fortune tellers or sorcerers, uh, who are saying to you, "You'll not serve the king of Babylon." All right. So, two, well, the first is the command to repent and to turn, and the second is to not believe the false prophets, diviners. Uh, this this whole group of people who are who are saying this this is not of the Lord. Fight against Babylon. This this won't. Happen or it won't last long. Okay. One of the applications here that I want you to see, and again, these things are repeated in each of those, those uh, presentations, to, then to Zedekiah, then to the people, uh, the priests and all the people, is that evil is never sovereign, in sovereign control uh, in your life. Um, neither natural evils like storms and disease or moral evil uh, like tyrants uh, or godless enemies. Uh, The Lord makes clear here in verse 5 that it is by his great power and by his outstretched hand that he made all that is and that he will give it to whomever seems right to him now he works through all sorts of secondary means including evil kings but the lord remains sovereign and i know i know in this room that there are a multitude of natural and moral evils pressing on our lives and they are there by the good hand of a loving father who made you His outstretched hand made you, and and it is His good pleasure, even at this moment, for those things to exist. We don't pretend to understand why, um, but we know that it is, we know the things that we know about God are true, that He is sovereign and that He is good. He is wise and He is loving. And so I I pray that you would uh, take comfort even in affliction maybe especially in affliction. Okay. We're gonna go on to chapter twenty-eight, where we're going to again see, as I'd mentioned before, that that Lord's rule is demonstrated in his judgment. This is Hananiah's confrontation. Same setting, and we don't know if it's days apart or even the same day or a few weeks later, but it's the same setting we are told uh, it's within the same year, um, and uh, the prophet, the false prophet, we'll find out quickly enough, Hananiah comes, uh, gives his message, uh, and, uh, and yeah, well, let's just, let's just read through it, and, and we'll see. Verses 1 to 4, in that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah... The son of Azer, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Um, So uh, in essence he has he's confronted Jeremiah directly. He has contradicted everything that Jeremiah has just prophesied. Um, And note even in verse three the very precise repetition, um, sorry, in verse 2, the precise repetition, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. The exact formulation that that Jeremiah had just used back in chapter 27, verse 3 and verse 21. Hananiah uh, says, I'm speaking for the Lord and this is my message. Uh, So, Hananiah had proven himself uh, to be the exact type of false prophet that Jeremiah had just warned the people about in the previous chapter. But we need to see again how Jeremiah responds to this. This is is astounding. Verse 6. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Huh. So what is going on? Jeremiah just said, it's going to be 70 years. It's going to be Nebuchadnezzar, his son, his grandson. Then you'll come back. And now he's agreeing, it seems, with Hananiah. With his four affirmations, amen, which is, let this be true, yes, and may the Lord do so, and then may the prophecy that you have just spoken come true, and may all of those things come back. The exiles, the vessels, may it all be restored. Uh, Now, it has been 33 years that Jeremiah has been prophesying the destruction of judah and jerusalem we think he started in his teens he calls himself a youth in chapter one so he's probably 50 years old now and he's been doing this for 33 years and here comes hananiah with a message completely different we don't know anything about hananiah other than this chapter that jeremiah tells us about hananiah now Put yourself in those in your shoes, in Jeremiah's shoes. Maybe you've been doing something for 30 years with varying degrees of success, and here comes the new kid on the block or somebody, who, who just contradicts everything that you have been teaching and thinking about and proclaiming. Um, What is it that allows Jeremiah to start? We haven't read all of his response, but start by saying, "Man." I hope you're right. Let that be true, that it's only two years. What what allows Jeremiah to, causes Jeremiah to be able to respond this way? Go ahead. Sure. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so yes. I mean, Jeremiah has a love for the people of Judah. He's not take, taking relishing uh, the, the fulfillment of the prophecy that he's declaring. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing. Yes, Phil? Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he wants it to be true, but he knows that it's not going to be. And the point here, as well, is that Jeremiah's message is the thing. It's not about him. He's, he's not going to get into a prophetic you know, throwdown um, here because he knows that what he has been preaching, pro- prophesying for three decades is true, that he knows that it's come from the Lord. And he's not, he, has, he hasn't convinced very many people in 33 years. He's not going to uh, try to argue uh, Hananiah into truth in this very moment. And it's because it's not about him. It's not about his pride. It's not about whether he's been doing this for 33 minutes or 33 years. Uh, It is about the Lord and what he has uh, for Judah and Jerusalem. And that is unchanged regardless of how many Hananias show up uh, saying other things. Yeah. So let's go on. Verses uh, 7 to 11 where um, Jeremiah tells us that time and truth go hand in hand. Time and truth go hand in hand. Um, Essentially, what he tells us, well, let me just read that bit for us. Verses 7 to 11. Yet, Hananiah, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, When the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. In essence, he's saying, you know, if you think it'll all be back in two years, I'm willing to wait with you. We'll see. We'll see. But it doesn't match, Hananiah, what has been prophesied by me, by lots of others through ancient days. Hananiah then (laughs) proceeds to take Uh, Jeremiah's yoke off his neck bust it and repeat uh, in verse 11 even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years and Jeremiah just went his way he just went his way Uh, he's, he's not done responding to Hananiah but he's done for today or at least this moment because he comes back, um, yeah, in verse, verses 12 to 17, sometime after the prophet, Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now we understand why Jeremiah didn't have anything to say on that day at that moment other than may it be so, right? Because not only was Jeremiah convicted to say all that the Lord had given him to say, he was obedient to say only that which the Lord had given him to say. And so that moment, he had not been given anything further, but now he is. And he comes back. Verse 13, Thus says the Lord, You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Verse 15, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. And you have made the people trust in a lie. Verse 16, therefore... Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And Hananiah uh, was gone within two months of, of where uh, the chapter began. Um, and so, I, I put in your notes a reference to uh, 2 Timothy 2. 24 to 26, because it, it strikes me that it's an appropriate passage uh, for us to think about in times of what could become quarrels uh, with, with unbelievers. And just, I just want to read that and let, let that um, soak into your heart as the Lord moves. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And this is a, this is a sweet picture, even though Jeremiah did come back and said, yeah, God didn't send you, and yeah, you're going to die. God's, God's done with you on this earth. Uh, he's not quarrelsome. He wasn't standing there toe-to-toe uh, with Hannah and I. He was agreeing that may the Lord do so. May, may the Lord relent of this great thing that he is about to do and save his people. And would it only be two years? All right. Into chapter 29 we go. The, uh, what we have now is is the record of a letter that Jeremiah uh, sent to exiles of all flavors, to elders, priests, prophets, and to all the people. The time frame is similar to where we have been in the previous two chapters, and um, this letter goes by royal messenger uh, from Zedekiah to Nebuchadnezzar. So it's likely uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, or at least a court official, would have read this um, before it was distributed to its, uh, its final recipients. And we get in verse 4, the beginning of the message. Verses 4 to 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay. Before we go further, what, what have we learned about the exile in this verse, in the, in the statement, just in the introduction? Say again? It's from God. That's right. This is the first of three times, just within this little section, God is going to remind them that he is the one who has sent them. He is the one who's actually driven them into exile. It's by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, but it is from the hand of the Lord. Okay, Verses 5 and 6, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. So, what's extraordinary about this thus far is that it's just very ordinary instruction, All right? Go. Go go live somewhere go eat things you know get married have babies have the, raise those children to make you grandparents you know enjoy your life live a live a normal full life where you are verse 7 cuz so far so good verse 7 but seek the welfare of the city where i have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This um, would have unsettled, probably, almost almost every person who had been uprooted from Jerusalem. Um, and it uh, would have been hard to swallow. One commentator writes, Uh, Jeremiah, by these words, may have cast the people completely adrift from all those things on which they depended and which they regarded as essential to their own well-being, a nation-state, kingship, an army, national borders, the temple, and on. Um, They are thousands of miles from home. Uh, They are living in a, a blatantly pagan society. And now they're told to live normal lives and and beyond that to actually pray for the city, for its leaders, and that their welfare, their welfare is bound up in the welfare of the city. Uh, This is this is striking. It's astounding uh, for, for Jeremiah to say these things. And what they are reminded, though, as well, is that everything is going according to God's plan. What, where they are and what's going on is, is simply God working out his perfect plan. He reminds them again, I'm the one who have sent you here. I think I've got in your notes a reference to 1 Peter 2, 11-17. Is that true? Yeah. Um, let me just read that. And listen for some striking similarities to Jeremiah's message. Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so in the same way, Jeremiah is speaking from the Lord to these exiles. Live your life. Enjoy your life. And pray for the authorities that the Lord has placed over you. It's going to be a while. This is going to be a while. It's going to be longer than two years. Yeah, get your children married. Become grandparents. It's great. And enjoy your life. Okay, Um, we'll go on. Verses 10 to 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And now we come to American Christianity's favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, 70 years later, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So the Lord is reminding them, asking them to remember that he keeps his good promises and that he will. His timetable is is not ours, but he will keep his good promises and As for uh, verse 11, it is a great verse, isn't it? Uh, But it is is all too often just torn completely from its moorings of context, uh, either to support a false prosperity gospel or that we can somehow claim God's favor over whatever it is we do or whatever it is we think at any time or in any place, uh, that that we are just automatically in God's favor. Uh, One commentator wrote... a little tongue-in-cheek that the the book of jeremiah is all about god disrupting his people's plans and upending his people's dreams um, one of the points here though that i would like you to to think about is god's specific plan for many who heard this word in exile was that they would likely live out the rest of their days in babylon Maybe they were 8 to 10 years into the exile at this time. Which means, math majors, how many years do they have left? 60, 62, thank you very much, right? So now if you were 30 years old and you were hearing this word, that that God knows the plans that he has for you, uh, plans for good and for a future and a hope and not for evil, I'm going to be 90 by the time the... um, the exile's over if I'm 30 right now. So I need to trust that, that God's good is going to be within the boundaries of Babylon. It's, it's, it is somehow not, for me, bound up in getting back to Judah. Yeah. Okay. Two more times in verse 14, uh, I'll note that God tells them, reminds them again, that he is the one who has put them there. I have driven you there, and I will bring you back from the place from which I sent you into exile. All right, the remainder of, of, of uh, Jeremiah 29 <clears throat> gives us details about three false prophets, three more to go along with Hananiah. Um, a certain Ahab and Zedekiah, neither of which are that Ahab or that Zedekiah. Um, and they were executed, they had already been executed in Babylon uh, for their rebellion. And a third uh, in, named Shemiah uh, is promised punishment from the Lord for having prophesied uh, when the Lord hadn't sent him. But as we, as we wrap up here in the, these last few minutes, uh, I just want you to consider this section of Jeremiah as well as what we read in First Peter 2, and behold our God with me. That he has made the earth and everything in it. He sovereignly and perfectly uh, gives it to whomever he pleases. Uh, We are all exiles. This isn't our home. But your life right now might seem a little more exilic than it has in the past. Um, Know and trust uh, that, that the Lord has things well in hand. Uh, know this uh, even if you even if you don't have things well in hand the lord does uh, know and trust that everything is going according to god's plan his good plan even if it doesn't feel like it and and even if circumstances look far less than perfect right now the, the lord's plan for your life and my life is no less specific than what he stated when he gave an exact timeline for Judah and Jerusalem for the exile. So the specifics of of where you're living right now, think of Acts 17, the God who who set out times and places where people would be and where they would live. Uh, Your home, your neighborhood, the circle of people around you, those who love you and those who hate you, are specifically ordained for you at this time. To grow you in conformity to God's word and to grow you more into the shape of Jesus. So that you can, like Jeremiah, obey all that the Lord has given you and nothing that he has not given you. So go build, plant, (laughs) right? Plant a garden and eat from it, enjoy it, marry and multiply, Uh, enjoy the multitude of God's good gifts within the setting where you are today with a heart of gratitude and pray for the city and its leaders because in a, in a very real sense our welfare is maybe tied up with the the welfare of that city that the lord has placed us in and so far as it is possible submit uh, to the leaders the authorities that the lord has put in your lives um, Keep your conduct honorable so that when the unbelievers see your life, they will glorify God. Maybe not on that day, but on the day of God's visitation. Quick teaser for next week, and then we'll pray and end. We're in chapters 30 to 33 next week, uh, which is the centerpiece of Jeremiah. And it is, it is rich and glorious promises of a return Uh, of the new covenant uh, some even some eschatological things from jeremiah will enjoy Um, come and enjoy that all right let's pray father thank you for this book and thank you for your kindness in giving this to us thank you for uh, that you have reminded us once again that the, Lord is, the world is yours, the earth is yours, and the fullness thereof that, that uh, your perfect plan works out just as um, meticulously today as it did in the lives of the exiles so many years ago in Babylon. And Father, would you um, give us hearts that are docile to your plan in our lives would you give us hearts that love your plan that submit to the authorities that you have put in our lives and that we would live lives that are honorable before all who see us for your glory and we pray in jesus name amen